Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Weff and as always I'm joined by Tim. Tim, how's it going? Well, that's a deep question, Mano. After yesterday's result, it has been a challenging day. But um, And also we're recording at the ridiculously early time in Vancouver at 6 o'clock. So I'm uh, a little bit less energetic as usual, but life is still great. Yeah. Life is still going, go, goes great. How are you, my friend? Yeah, it's it's been pretty good. I mean, um, it's been a very long week. I've been kind of globe trotting, and of course, the, the entire football grad network has been really busy because we were at five games live this week, um, Champions League games, including the one that uh, has you down a little bit, right, Tim? Um, yeah. We'll get to that in due course, I guess. But yeah, I guess um, no Andrew this week. Um, sadly, missing him because you know he's in Siberia. He's a very busy man, and um, things can be a little bit tricky with internet connections, etc. So we'll we'll he'll be back next week, though. He'll be back next week. But yeah, Tim, Champions League. Um, I guess we should start maybe with the not so bad news. Hey, start with sure. start with <laughs> you. Start with your Moscow rival. CSKA Moscow and uh, they were in a, obviously in a very tough group as well um, Group A together with Manchester United, Basel and Benfica and I remember when we first started the doing the Champions League parts for the post-Soviet teams we didn't expect too much from CSKA Moscow because of the um, of course, the, the rebuild that they're having. And um, we sort of thought that, well, maybe they're going to battle with Basel for third spot, right? Now, this group worked out very differently, didn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's been a very fascinating group. I saw one of the, the group games um, last week in Basel between Manchester United and Basel. And Man Basel actually won this game with, with a very, very late goal. And... Um, set up a very very good final but this group has been very strong by the top three teams Manchester United, Basel and CSKA and very disappointed by Benfica eh? That was a surprise because I didn't really expect uh, always uh, when we see top three Portuguese teams Benfica, Porto and Sporting we expect 
you know, certain level of football. Mm, you know, Porto obviously won the Europa League. Uh, Benfica also looks extremely successful. So that one came, came as a surprise. Uh, but that doesn't take away from overall success of CSKA's uh, Champions League campaign, in my opinion. They are nine points. Nine points is, is, is a lot. There are three victories. So, mm. you know, it's it's great result for any Russian team. They still had chances to the last day, match day, slight chances, but they were still in the game. And uh, overall, given everything what we talked about, like the rebuild, the um, retiring for many years uh, defense, um, lots of youngsters who played actual lots of minutes in, in their Champions League, which will be a great um, experience for them. Uh, but th that disbalanced uh, squad um, performed, I think, to the maximum of uh, what they're capable of uh, this, this Champions League uh, campaign. I thought it was what it was interesting too is because they used to have a lot more star power in that squad and yet they they were kind of always a failure in the Champions League group stage, right? And this year with the rebuild, a lot of young players in that side. I mean, the only really bad result against them was that 4-1 um against Manchester United at home. I guess the 2-0 at home against Basel too. That that those two home games, two times in a row, that's really what killed them, wasn't it? I mean, when you when you look at their performances on the road, they actually did almost better than in Moscow. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, and, you know, like, to me, even uh, this not successful game against uh, Man United, still, you know, Man United is a way better side, regardless of how you play. But uh, that home defeat to Basel, when Ceska really weren't themselves, that's what, you know, this is... This is again. Basel did very well this mm. uh, in this group, but still, you know, they they could have uh, played better. And I think this is this is the game where they lost their chances. At the same time, they won in in Basel, which mm, I saw. I don't think maybe it was as expected. So I think you know, I, I think it's a well deserved um, spot for them. Basel was obviously Man United, the strongest team of, of the group. Basel did very well. This 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 campaign, so I think it's well deserved, and I think Ceska can leave that Champions League to Europa League with their heads held up high. Because, like I said, I think it's um, even even with a couple of disappointing home defeats, uh, they did great. Yeah, actually, you know, in Basel, especially winning in Basel, that's the San Jacob Park. There, it's it's a magical ground. I mean, I was very impressed when I was there. I thought it was probably one of the best stadiums I've ever been to atmosphere wise it's it's a very nice compact stadium it has a has that old English feel to it only with actual real fans in it you know there's it's it's not like an opera anymore like like a lot of the English stadiums are these days it's very loud and um, I mean Basel you've lived in Switzerland right Tim and you, Switzerland yeah. is a beautiful country period but yeah, it is amazing how in Basel, um, how they live and brief their club. Every public building has flags hanging off the FC Basel flags hanging outside, and it's it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating football city. Something that you don't really quite expect from from a Swiss city. I personally didn't expect from a Swiss city. So it's it's a it's a it's a big club, and it's a it's a very difficult place to go and win. And I mean, they've beaten some some very big sides in in that city and uh, Manchester United of course twice because this was the second time they beat Manchester United they've beaten Chelsea there and they've beaten Bayern Munich there um so this they've taken some big scalps 
in at the St. Jakobs Park. So going there and winning there, probably a high point from CSKA. And it, it showed that really, you know, maybe with just another draw somewhere at home or maybe even another win at home, they would have probably gone through. Exactly, yeah. Like I said, the nine points, uh, I think you've been saying before the pod that 10 is usually enough to get through. Mm. Uh, they were nine, so pretty much on average, they were just one point, one tie away from, um, like, like obviously in this, like when Basel was 12 points, uh, not going to cut, cut it, but at the same time, if the, maybe that was a tie against Basel, okay, I'm just going hypothetical, but you know that uh, it overall um, did well and given like what kind of Basel we got this year um yeah so it's i think it's i think it's it's a good campaign for CSKA with again given everything what we discussed uh what's happening in the club and uh, the obviously the opposition i i like i said i was still surprised at benfica not sure what's going on there i don't really follow portuguese football unfortunately that much but um good good for CSKA i think they did well and uh, like i said i think in general, for Russian teams, the Europa League is our tournament. Yeah, they, they're dropping down to Europa League. And actually finishing with the nine points will have an advantage, Tim, because they're going to be seeded in the Europa League draw now as one of the, I think it's the best, um, oh. it's one of the, it's the four best teams, I think, that drop down to the Europa League get, get seeded in the Europa League round of 32. So um, with nine points, they're one of those teams. Uh, so it's actually an advantage in some ways, because you avoid one of the uh, Europa League group winners in the draw. So that's that's a bonus. So you don't have Arsenal, for example, in, in that first round. So yeah, that's so they're in the Europa League. What, can we, what do you expect from them in the Europa League? I think they could go pretty deep. I think Ciska would probably can go a couple of rounds in. You know, that, again, strong potential. This uh, Europa League this year is, uh, will be very strong. Mm. And... Um, so it, they can come across a fairly uh, strong side. Um, but I think that uh, they can go a couple of rounds in. Again, it depends on uh, the transfer window. If Because Ceska just um, outrageously, they need uh, a striker. <laughs> like when you have Van Bloom playing as a, a striker, it's it's really out of just uh, complete lack of, <laughs> of, of squad what they have. So if, if they get a striker, and maybe who knows i don't think they will be able to get many transfers in uh, but they take they definitely have the capability of going a few rounds in um so positive outlook in my opinion um but it, it as ever in in europa league and any cup competition it depends on the draw because you can get teams um fairly like this large large number of teams they can get which are stronger and weaker than them it's going to be a very strong Europa League. Maybe not for that third first round, right? Because they're going to be seeded. But after that, there's going yeah. there's a lot of strong teams that have dropped into this competition. Um, Borussia Dortmund, for example, RB Leipzig, Atletico Madrid. Um, they will all want Napoli. to sh- Napoli, Arsenal already in it. It's it's actually going to be a great tournament after this after the winter break. When you really think about uh, it, the Europa League is going to be great. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, the past few years, Europa League has been great. Yeah. That transition of uh, Champions League teams, uh, I, I think the Europa League is kind of like, uh, it's a hipster choice. And uh, sometimes you get those uh, clubs which you don't expect and you learn new things about those clubs. I think it's great. Like, I actually like Europa League, especially starting somewhere from like quarterfinal, the tournament is on fire. 
So, and especially this year, like you mentioned, there's so many great teams who can um, go for it. And at the same time, there are teams which, uh, for for them, winning uh, Europa League will be a success. I don't think, like, Arsenal fans will be crazy excited about winning Europa League, but uh, I'm pretty sure that Borussia Dortmund fans will be happy, Atletico Madrid, especially RB Leipzig, Napoli fans will be excited to win Europa League. Uh, So there, there there are clubs which will be taking it very, very seriously. And remember, to the Europa League gives you an automatic spot in the Champions League. Exactly. Right. So if you look at teams like Arsenal or Dortmund that are struggling a little bit in their in their league seat campaigns, winning the Europa League could be that door opener to the Champions League. And uh, we've seen that with Le- with uh, Manchester United, who are only in this in this tournament because they won the Europa League last season, right? Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be in it. So. I guess it's come kind of become important taking the Europa League a bit more serious. Now, um, speaking of the Europa League, that unfortunately is the transition to your side, Tim. Um, to be fair, I th- I will talk about the result because you had I had a bunch of. Is this this was this was a Champions League campaign for Spartak of. Big positives and big negatives. You know, you you drew Maribor on match day one. Then you drew Liverpool. Drawing Maribor is not a great result, right? But then you drew Liverpool at home 1-1. That's all of a sudden, that's a great result. Then you beat, yeah. then you beat Sevilla 5-1. Fantastic result. Historical. Amazing. Historical. Then you lose to Sevilla on the road, right? <laughs> not, not that bad. But then you draw Maribor. Um, not not a great result at home, and uh, yeah, then on on that final match day, seven nil. Um, it's an odd one because Spartak. I mean, Liverpool were incredible. If you if you want to read back on the match, Chris Williams was at the game. He had, there's a fantastic uh, match report. For Liverpool fans, fantastic. Not so great for Spartak fans. <laughs> yeah, I read it. I was like, oh, this is good job, Chris, but this is really painful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, Liverpool were playing an amazing brand of football during that game. It was club football at its finest. But at the same time, in order to dismantle a side like that, and it, you can be fantastic, you can be perfect. Uh, I mean, Germany did something like that to Brazil. And um, as perfect as Germany was, was at that game as disastrous were Brazil and I, th- I I figure when when you lose seven nil on this level, yes one side had to be fantastic but uh, to to make it happen the other side also had to have a really bad off day and does that I guess what happened to Spartak? Yeah, I agree. This is what happened to yeah to us. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really hard hard to find this words to describe what happened because um, the way. Uh, I see that result worked out. It was a combination of a few things. Uh, obviously, Liverpool were great and we were poor, but that's, you know, the, the score tells you that. But why that happened is that um, I think um, one reason is the early goal that didn't help and that early stupid penalty, which Jikia um, uh, earned. Um, and um, But the second thing, which, which I think was actually maybe even more important, that um, Carrera... Because we had to win. 
the situation before the game was that Spartak had to win regardless of what happens in, in the other game. So they have they had to go for the victory. So they decided not to play defensively like they played in Moscow uh, and pretty much were just like guarding the result that which they got from um, Fernando uh, free kick. They tried to play football. They tried to play the actual game. They tried to go for the win. And actually before game, I spoke to my friend who also supports Spartak. And I said, I like this. This is Spartak way to go and play with pretty much four offensive players. Uh, they pretty much played 4-2-3-1. Um, fairly attacking um, setup up uh, to play away in England. And um, they got really punished for that. So they, they really got... And also Carrera said that, that there was lack of fight he saw. Um, I think the, the team was just so shocked after three goals in 17 or 18 minutes. What was it? So... Um, I think so. Yeah, obviously, you know, Liverpool were seven goals better than Spartak, and it was a horrible game, horrible game to watch. But uh, that's a combination of factors which, uh, which, which, which got this result. It's such an odd one because I find Spartak are the, are the kind of side that if they really get going, they do really get going. But if they have an off day, they really fall apart. I mean, we yeah, have right. we have the, we have this opposition of results. We have that five-one victory against Sevilla, right on the one hand. And then you have that 7-0 against Liverpool. And Liverpool and Sevilla are not that far, are far apart in terms of level. I mean, that's the thing. And yet you see those two results um, opposing, oppo uh, compared to each other. And it's just, it's a little mind-boggling. And it's it kind of, when you, when you look at the Spartak season overall, you see a lot of that, that Spartak have been either very good or very bad. And... What do you think the reason for that is? You know, it's, it might sound crazy, but I actually love it. Because this is this is Spartak way. This is how it has been all the time throughout. I, I've been supporting the team. It either goes really well it, or it either goes uh, really poor. And it's it's kind of describes the uh, the Russian mentality because we have been called uh, as a country, as a nation, the country, with the, uh, country without the middle. It's either black or white. There's no gray. And that's kind of how it is with, Russia, with Spartak. So, and as long as I remember, we I can count on hands of more than yeah more more yeah like uh, so many games which historical wins like against uh, Sevilla at the same time there have been very poor results. Um, so this is uh, this is this is historical. So that's not new to me. And this is what like I said I kind of like about the team because when it goes great it goes really really great really great like last season or when it goes poor it goes poor. So um, it kind of reflects and uh, makes me the like you know makes me relate to the team to the club because we we I think we are the same um for, like as a nation that's that's for us uh but why that happens um you know emotional again emotional team uh, and uh, you're right the season had it, it has been like that because we had this dreadful period in september august when you know the games against sky games against Lokomotiv. Uh, at the same time when everything goes right and we had that period when we won against krasnodar we won against sevilla it was going right so I don't know. Like it, it has been a good part of the season until until that game, and I really hope that continues because it's also this result is very dangerous because the next game is key game derby game against Ceska on mm. Sunday, and it's a very important game in terms of how team will leave the, the for the for three months break in terms of like who 
who is who win against uh, Sky will pretty much in, in in the championship race still. If we lose, that pretty much gives us no hope to to. To, to, to win the trophy, only good hopes to, to be in the Champions League. So it's 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 an extremely important game, and ge- having this shock result before the derby is dangerous. Uh, so it's kind of like this result of 7 nothing, which is just dreadful even to say for me, but it comes with a few layers of how that actually can, can play it. Maybe it will be a motivational game, and they will like to recover for the Sky game, or maybe we're completely dis- destroyed, and uh, it will be another uh, horrible loss on Sunday. So, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy the game. Um, <laughs> but I'm, st- I'm staying positive. I try to have a like you know glass-half-full approach of life in general. <laughs> Seven goals is hard. Um, I have <laughs> I haven't really experienced that, but I have to say, uh, you know, Chris Williams, of course, and a bunch of the guys on the Football Ground Network are big Liverpool fans, and I mean, I have a soft spot for Liverpool myself. But um, I went to we went to the data uh, before this game, and because Chris found an old 1860 sticker at Anfield Road, and we we tried to find when that could have been and we did actually find the match it was uh it was a european cup game in 1968 and tim i tell you i tell you now there's worse results than 7-0 at anfield my club actually lost that game 8-0 so (laughs) 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 i'm not sure if that helps uh it's thankfully that this is a day thankfully such a long time ago that i wasn't born so i don't have any (laughs) recollection of it and um there isn't, you know, there isn't, I don't think there's any footage. I guess that's something we can dig up and see if we can find it. So I personally can't really relate too much to it. But if you want, if you want to have a shoulder to cry on, I suggest we talk, <laughs> we talk to uh, maybe Thomas, Thomas Farines, our Brazilian on the Football Grad Network. You know, for a long time, whenever he, uh, whenever he did a joke or something on me, I would just hold seven fingers in his face because, you know, the Germany-Brazil <laughs> game. But it's, it's a rough one. Um, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's going to see something that's going to stick uh, for quite some time. And of course, it doesn't help that Chris does, ha- has it as his uh, profile picture now as well, doesn't he? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> it looks, looks pretty tragic. Like, he has a pretty much the, as his profile picture, the score of the game. <laughs> so, it looks nice to him, not so much to me. Yeah, it's... it's. They did it twice. Liverpool did this twice in this group. Yeah. Uh, 7-0 to Maribor, which is, of course, a bit more expected um, given the level that I see Maribor at. 7-0 against Spartak is very impressive. And I can... I think... I mean, Liverpool have... I always compare Liverpool and Spartak in some ways because Spartak, like Liverpool, are such a hot and cold team, right? They're such mm-hmm. they have such a dedicated fan group, um, a team that has a is either loved in England or really hated. Same with Spartak in Russia. Yeah. Um. You know, so they are very very similar teams in terms of history and uh, the backgrounds and like people's clubs really. So. Um, I wish Liverpool all the best in this group, and I think they will go co- quite far, um, as long as Klopp, of course, can figure out his defense. So, fantastic result, of course, for them. And um, we'll just pretend this never happened, right, Tim, in terms of sports. Oh, I'll, I'll have to do that. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what, we'll go, we'll go on to a story that personally made me really happy on this match day. I, I have a, as you probably know, I have a very soft spot for Ukrainian football and Shakhtar Donetsk in particular. And yeah. um, Shakhtar Donetsk had two match balls, but the two of us were really worried that 
they would not be able to convert them because the final two games were against Napoli and Manchester City. Now, they did squander that first match ball in Italy as expected and lost 3-0 to Napoli. And we thought, oh, well, that's probably it, right? Napoli are gonna, gonna beat their opponent fair not on match day six and Shakhtar Donetsk are gonna lose expectedly to Manchester City. Now, that didn't happen. Um, I was, of course, at the Red Bull Arena last night and had uh, an eye on that game. You know, we get a screen in front of us where we get to see the results and goals from the other games. And um, I couldn't believe it. Shakhtar Donetsk went ahead. And that first goal by Bernard, an amazing oh. finish. Absolutely brilliant. And at that point, you had that feeling it's like, oh, they could do this, right? And then six minutes later, Ismaili made a 2-0. For, uh, for Shakhtar Donetsk and things were going very well in the other game too with Napoli um, going ahead of course but you know at the point when Ismaili scored that second goal Feyenoord had equalized and in the end Feyenoord actually won their game uh, 2-1 and well Shakhtar conceded one as well but it didn't really matter but they got it done on their own accord Shakhtar Donetsk a difficult group to advance um, they record four wins and two losses. What do we make out of that? I mean, that's a fantastic result for the Miners, isn't it? Absolutely. This is a great result for them, and um, especially given the group they were in. Because uh, before before the, the tournament, I was fairly pessimistic. I was saying, oh, Shakhtar will be fighting for Europa spot with uh, Feyenoord, but look where they are. They are in the, in the playoffs of Champions League uh, with 12 points, with a victory over Manchester City. It just shows that, you know, that the club's doing the right things. Uh, we've been praising uh, their coach, Paolo Fonseca, on the uh, football ground for many months, and um, the confirmation of that, the offers he got from England, so people are looking at him as well. But it obviously just shows that uh, Shakhtar is... Uh, on the right track, and uh, that victory against City is just unbelievable. Like I don't know how they how, how they pulled it off, but it's a, it's great. I also saw the highlights. It seems like the 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 stadium was almost full, and uh, they were going behind the team. And like that, Bernard's goal is also absolutely beauty. If listeners, if you haven't seen it, go on on YouTube or whatever. It, it's available. Just look it up. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful goal. Um, a beautiful strike in the top right corner from the left side by Bernard. And um, I can't even blame uh, the goalie of Manchester City because it was just a beautiful strike. Um, great game by Shakhtar. Congratulations to them. And they, again, they will be one of those teams um, which, you know, who knows, based on, on on maybe draw, maybe they can go to the next round. Who knows? It's it's hard. To, it's impossible to say because we don't know the the draw yet. It will happen tomorrow. But um, they might have a chance. Obviously, not winning the Champions League, but they might have a chance with that type of performance to go to the next round. Uh, given some successful draw, to get out of this group is remarkable. Absolutely, this is this is a very 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 good group. I mean, Manchester City, Feyenoord, Shakhtar Donetsk, Napoli, um, and to get out of this group with the results that they had is is really good. I mean, they beat Feyenoord twice, right? And they beat the other two sides once, right? Um, as expected, they lost their games, their away games in, in Manchester and in Italy. But they got the job done at home. And I mean, I say at home, you know, with uh, yeah. asterisks on it because they are playing in exile. 
and as you mentioned, the, um, the stadium was actually full. Kharkiv Arena is where they are, uh, the Metalist Stadium. And um, it seems like they've actually found a home away from home. It's actually a fantastic stadium there. And there's no home team right now playing in it because Metalists uh, bankruptcy. They're playing in the, I believe, in the third division right now in Ukraine, um, mm -hmm. trying to get become a Phoenix club, right? But I, I just, I love the story so much, and I love watching Shakhtar Donetsk. I have for a very long time. It's the Shakhtar Donetsk was actually one of the reasons why I fell in love with Eastern European football, Tim. And um, I've loved this team watching this team for some time already under Messia Luchesco and his all his Brazilian Amada and uh, this side you know they, they haven't really signed anyone in a long time but there's so much talent Bernard um, he's going to be a free agent next summer and Schachter are trying to resign him but I think you know he, he's been very special this year and there will be a lot of suitors coming in for him uh, trying to get him because all of a sudden, Paulo Fonseca seems to have worked the magic and got gets is getting him to play the way the the way he played when half of Europe was trying to get him right. So um, it's it's just a fantastic story, and I really hope that they go deep in, in this competition. And I, I think you're quite right. I think we can the, the draw. It will be interesting who they get. They're going to get one of the first place teams, of course. Um, but I think they don't really have to worry about any of the teams that they're going to get because they've been such a force at home in their own stadium. And going to Ukraine in February when the first round starts, it's not going to be an easy easy thing to do for any of the teams that are going to get them. Teams like Napoli and City have learned that the hard way. So I think this is going to be a really interesting story um, to keep a track on. And of course, on Football Grab, we're going to do that. Um, now, there is, of course, a story coming and that emerged yesterday, Tim. And you mentioned Paulo Fonseca <coughs> and the the fact that he's been linked with a bunch of English teams. Everton came in and tried to get him. Of course, that seemed to be a project that he was not interested in at all. But uh, Bayern Munich, um, I've got, I saw a list yesterday with eight names on it that Bayern are considering. And I'm, I'm saying considering. This doesn't mean that they're currently talking to these eight guys. There's eight names out there um, that are on the Bayern list and his name is on it. And and just out of curiosity, who else is on the names? I'm, I'm really curious to, to know. So, of course, Thomas Tuchel. That's the obvious run, right? Jürgen Klopp. Nagelsmann. Jürgen oh. Klopp. Nagelsmann, yes. Um, Arsene Wenger, which... <laughs> but, and the reason for that, Tim, is... And I know when I saw it and I tweeted it out and I had to put in brackets, no, I'm not drunk. I was actually that, <laughs> at that series. He's on the list. You know why? Because he speaks German. And oh wow! He is, has experience working with an experienced side. Now the question is: Is he ever going to leave Arsenal? I'm not sure, but Bayern have definitely have the interest um, to get him. Niko Kovac is a name on the list. Ralf Hasenhüttl, uh, Paulo Fonseca, and I think that's already that is the eight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're at eight. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, some of them are not a huge surprise. Um, Jurgen Klopp and Arsene Wenger. I think they're just naturally on the list because, you know, when they were in the Bayern grounds, sit around in a room, Rummenigge and Hoeneß, and they discuss it, they will they will drop names and these names will be in the play. I'm saying very loosely in the play because there's so many factors that play in. Um, that doesn't mean that they're actually trying to get them. I think that Klopp is quite happy in Liverpool and I think Wenger is, is going to retire um, at <laughs> Arsenal. But I think the other names are quite realistic and Fonseca is on that list and I mean the, the downside is he doesn't speak 
any German yet. Um, I say yet, but Oli Hoeneß apparently really likes the way he plays for Shakhtar Donetsk. The way he's gone in, they, they, he didn't need any new signings, and he's basically brought him back up to the level that uh, Lucesco had been playing the year before uh, final the final year of Lucesco, and actually beyond that, he really he was very impressed by the way uh, Shakhtar Donetsk have played in the Champions League, and I think that is that is really the the level that Bayern look at, right? To get 12 points in that group um, would have been hard even with the Bayern side right now, right? So um, they're very impressed with his coaching, his his ability to get the best out of players and his man management. And um, I think what they were also impressed with is that he, he, he made a promise saying that if we get out of this group, because he didn't believe that they would, that he would show up to the final press conference dressed as Sorrow. And uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen the picture, he actually did. He showed up as Sorrow at the press conference. <laughs> so they, they, this is actually something that they liked, integrity. That was something that they said, you know, the, the fact that he has integrity and um, is doing really... And humor. And humor and doing a fantastic job. And I mean, he is. Um, so I think that's, that's a coach that we're going to hear a lot about in, in, the, coming, in the coming months. Um, of course, he said that he's very happy working with Shakhtar Donetsk and why wouldn't he well how much money he makes there three million euros yeah so that's, that's a lot of, I understand his happiness I understand his happiness quite well too <laughs> and I understand that Shakhtar are actually going to sign a few players this this winter um, because of the Champions League money so I think he is he is going to be um, be given quite an interesting project which doesn't mean of course he's still young it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a future somewhere in Western Europe maybe even at a club like Bayern Bayern Munich and we know Portuguese coaches are always in high demand, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a similar career than Jose Mourinho, um, simply because he, he seems to be really able to work with small clubs quite well. So, yeah, that's, that's it, uh, Tim. Um, no Champions League till February. We have, to no. fo- we have to focus on league football and uh, the winter break and I guess well, transfer stories. Um, it's December, you know. Christmas is coming soon for a lot of clubs that have uh, been bad throughout the season. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really kind of funny, and this is something a little bit on a side note. It's Christmas, and, um, you know, usually it's the clubs that have been bad that get Christmas presents and buy players over Christmas, right? Uh, in Germany, if you've been bad, Krampus comes and puts you on the back and throws you into a haystack. It doesn't <laughs> seem to be the case for football clubs. <laughs> so, well, we'll see, I guess. But I guess in the case of the likes of Schachter Donetsk, uh, Christmas is going to come because they actually did well in the Champions League. But yeah, um, speaking of Christmas and Krampus, Krampus came for one guy in particular, um, and this was surrounding the World Cup draw in Russia. Um, Very exciting moment, December 1st, of course. We now know the World Cup groups, and we're going to talk about the World Cup groups and Russia's group in particular. But before we get there, Tim, we have to talk about Vitaly Mutko, of course, the Deputy Prime Minister of Russia, in charge of sports, tourism, and culture, I believe, right? And um, he has been banned by the IOC for his involvement in the doping at the Sochi Olympics. Of course, that's uh, the Russia dominated the Sochi Olympics. Uh, then, of course, the Rochenkov case brought open to light that doping was um, aided by the KGB and the police at the Sochi Olympics. A massive scandal. Vitaly Mutko, um, hugely implicated and has now been banned by the IOC. The problem, of course, is 
that he is also in charge of organizing Russia's World Cup. Now, Tim, what has been the reaction in Russia uh, on Mutko's banning? And what do you think will be the impact on his involvement at the tournament? It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. If I talk to my friends a lot who live in Russia and obviously that uh, the, the it was a big 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 massive news but it was mostly focused on the Russia being banned from uh the next Olympics and that that the the sports uh, the, the, sorry the, the 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 people who didn't have any issues they can still participate in um, in 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 the Olympics but without uh, under not under the Russian flag which is taken uh, because Russians are f- very proud people and to them that's kind of like a big 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 uh, disrespect uh the Mutko situation it's 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 hard to say because really he's banned it's a massive disgrace but that happens a few months before the world cup where he is one of the key people in terms of organization he is the person from the government who actually runs the world cup like obviously that there's putin and people who are involved but he kind of oversees us because like you said he's the guy who is in charge of sport in in russia so it's um he says he says in in the, in the interview that he is ready to leave his position if it benefits but he says, obviously, he's not sure if if it, if that benefits, um, especially right now when 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 it's uh, the World Cup is literally a few months away and doing such a massive uh, strategic um, management change. Uh, I don't know how how it will plan out, play out because who will replace his his job and like all the project. So it's it's very hard to to understand and they, like anything in Russia, especially with politics, we don't really know what's happening in the back. But it's it's a definitely definitely disgraceful situation that um, you know the, the whole country, the biggest country in the world, a fairly successful sport country, has been banned uh, for doping, and uh, it's just yeah, it's. It came as a massive, massive. Uh, it, it was. I don't know. I don't think it was unexpected. But when the news were announced, I just saw like the, the news, the the websites, my friends, like uh, a few a few group chats. I am in in with the Russian friends. Everybody was talking about it, and there was like obviously there was some memes and jokes being shared. But it's obviously that was a topic, and it, it's a massive topic in Russia right now. How this will affect the World Cup? I think he, the way I see it, he probably stay because I don't think like they will they will make those massive changes. Uh, but um, you know, like as a true gentleman, maybe he has to go. The question is, is he a true gentleman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good question. I mean, I have I have a very strong opinion about this entire situation too, and I've been on a TV station in Austria and written an article for a big German side on Vitali Mutko. Of course, I've, I followed his career quite closely doing, doing my work as my PhD, right? Because he's been involved in Russian football since the 1990s. You know, as the, the former president of Zenit St. Petersburg, he um, 
brought the club back from the second division. A lot of people forget that Zenit St. Petersburg got relegated from the first Russian independent Russian football Premier League season, right? And um, played spent a season in the second division. And um, yeah, he basically guided them back into the first division, got a whole bunch of sport advertisement contracts, including with uh, Baltica, the beer company, and then eventually even got the, the Gazprom deal. Uh, set up, set up, right? So that's he. He has been involved with with the sport then, and then I mean, he was the president of the league for some time. Then he was the president of the Russian Football Union, and then he was the. Then he became, went back into politics. He's friends with Putin, with Miller, with Medvedev, all these guys that basically run Russian politics. Um, I always say he's part of the Saint Petersburg cycle, right? The the circle of people that. He is not from St. Petersburg. I believe he was born in Krasnodar or the Krasnodar region. But he's, he's went to, went and, uh, to university in St. Petersburg. He's basically lived there his entire life. So he's one of those St. Petersburg people. And I personally, I mean, when I got the, the news about Russia being banned from the Olympics, I felt, um, that wasn't a big surprise to me. And I think they're kind of watered it down because Russian athletes are allowed to compete just under not under the russian flag and they are allowed to uh, walk into the stadium um during the closing ceremony under russian flag which is kind of like an odd one to me but okay well yeah. i guess that's how <laughs> ioc uh, i have to i have to add here real quick that thomas bach the head of the ioc is close friends to vladimir putin it helps to have friends at the right places we say in german uh, i guess <laughs> <laughs> this was one of those instances but mutko's ban was a shock i thought that was that was a warning shot. The, it was saying, well, well, on a whole, we understand that Russia is important. But on the other hand, we are fed up with what you've done at the Olympics. And banning Mutko for life, that was, that was definitely a warning shot. I find it very difficult to see him continue at his role as the, as, as the head of the, the FIFA World Cup. I personally, I mean, I find it interesting that Gianni Infantino, the head of FIFA, says... Um, this doesn't have any impact on the World Cup. I, th I think it does. Not in terms of um, how FIFA handles it. I, I understand that those are two different organizations, that um, doping is different, handled very different in football than in the Olympics, for better or worse. That's an entire story in itself. But it does damage the reputation, right? And I think Mutko as a person reputation-wise, is too damaged to continue. And I really wonder, and I'm, this is, this is, I'm interested to hear your opinion on that as a Russian, Tim. Do you think that, and he's, you said if he was a gentleman, he would step down. Is there any way that he would step down, or is there even pressure within the country to say, no, you need to go. Look, this is it. You've damaged not only the sport, but your country, and you are potentially going to damage the World Cup as well if you don't. Absolutely, there's there's massive pressure. There's like all the key journalists, like a big um, journalist, especially who are uh, kind of like a, in a position to to the current situation uh, in Russia. They um, say that he has to leave, but uh, because we're dealing with Russia, that's why it's 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 really like when like I said, we like we have the president who is going to. To, to the to, to the new um, election and everyone knows the outcome regardless of what happens and this is just like the, the, the like a good way to describe what how, how Russian politics works um, 
Mutko is a part of that politics because um, just to give you, I'm pretty sure you know this, but maybe for listeners that um, there was a, a rule that a government person cannot manage the football organization like the, the Russian RFS. So he still is the deputy in charge of sports and he still manages uh, Russian Federation. So, like, this is just this shows like the level of um, of how how things are done in Russia. So, like I said, in in a normal country, in a place like uh, Germany, if that would have happened, um, the person go- is gone. Like, you know, because it's just like it, it's just a fair way to to take it. Because, like, really, he was in charge of that whole process. Uh, the organization makes the decision that yes, that that was all true. There was uh, doping. So, of course, like this person has to be banned. If he's banned from Olympics, obviously, he has to step down. But because we're dealing with Russian, we don't know what will happen. Honestly, like I I, I have mm-hmm. no idea how how. And and he said in in an interview, he said we have people who can hire and fire. Obviously, he's meaning Vladimir Putin. And then he says, but I just continue my work. I have a lot of things to do. So I'll just continue. It's not my, my, you know, it's not my decision if I stay or go. So he's not going himself unless uh, the president will make a decision and lets him go. So, and nobody knows what will, what, what the, the way Putin sees things. So hard to say. So... Uh, Honestly, like I said, if he is a true gentleman and if it would have been in a normal country, then he is gone tomorrow. But because we're dealing with Russia, it's hard for us to say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because you mentioned a couple of very interesting things here, Tim. Of course, President Putin just announced, big surprise, uh, <laughs> drum roll, expectations, he's going to run for president in March. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, 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 I was shocked by this, this news. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't even really quite uh, realize that he hasn't announced his candidacy yet, but I guess he is. He's running for president. Um, but this is this is how things are done, right? And um, we have to maybe add that if President Putin doesn't even need to really throw the elections, he's going to win these elections fair and square, right? He's going to get a majority of the vote, unless, yeah. except for the, maybe the big cities, Moscow, St. Petersburg. Uh, where there's, there is a sizable um, opposition. I mean, St. Petersburg, especially right now in Moscow, there's a lot of hipsters living there that do not vote for President Putin. But, I mean, Russia is a lot more than Moscow and St. Petersburg. People um, that travel there seem to forget that at times. So the, he has the the backing of the majority of his population. And with that majority of his population come uh, comes a lot of power. And I think you're quite right. Um, I was asked by uh, in an interview by the Austrian television station ORF, what's going to happen next? And I had to think about it because we really don't know. I could see, I could actually see Vladimir Putin fire Mutko, but I could also see him say, well, this doesn't affect football, you know. And then, of course, someone like Gianni Infantino says it doesn't affect us, so that, that doesn't give them impetus to make a change. But on the other hand, um, Russia, no other country in Europe is so guided by prestige as Russia is, right? The Olympics, um, Sochi, the, the whole doping scandal was, was only guided by prestige. Getting the shining, being that shining beacon of the world for just those two weeks. Um, and it didn't matter how they did it. It was all about getting these results because at that moment the, 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 the light was shining on Russia and Russia needed to be at its best, at its peak. It needed to win medals. And now, 
I think what happens now with all these medals being stripped, etc., it seems to be almost not happen no matter because it only mattered when the light was shining on them, right? So I almost wonder with the light shining now on Russia again with the World Cup, it, the now is important. The prestige of the now, the, the moment. You say you see pictures of Vladimir Putin with Maradona and Pele, right, at the, the World Cup draw. And how important that is for him. And I almost wonder if that if if the that if the World Cup is in danger or not giving him that shining light, then Mutku could be gone. But if it doesn't, then Mutku can stay on. Manu, you're absolutely 100% correct. Everything you said is absolutely how it is. That That's in Russian mentality, and this is the how Russia is now. Uh, the shining now matters, and that's why, that's why you're right. So if the, um, you know, the people who makes decisions or the person who makes decisions is sees that uh, this will affect the, this, the month of uh, Russia being shining in the world uh, during uh, the World Cup, yeah, like yeah, yeah, everything you said is absolutely. You have very good deep knowledge, man. This is this is absolutely how it is. <laughs> I have spent enough time trying to decipher yeah. <laughs> decipher your country, Tim. It's still a riddle at times, but it's becoming more apparent every day. But um, I think this is a really important topic, and I think as we move on, uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on it because I mean the World Cup is only seven months away, and we are getting ready to prep for it and. Um, you know, these are stories that are very much in the in the back or in the forefront right now. And um, it's it's going to be a fascinating how it's kind of going to come to the boil. March is, of course, going to be the, a big month for us because of the of the elections. And I think the World Cup will play a big role. I think Putin was already smart that he has the elections now um, happening in March and do not do the same mistake that Dima Rousseff did in Brazil. She had the elections after after the World Cup, and that turned out to be a little bit of a disaster for her, because Russia could very well have a 7-1 moment, not necessarily by Germany, but by another country, right? So I think Putin is smart, saying, well, maybe we'll do the elections before the World Cup, uh, just in case. <laughs> um, but, you know, speaking of the World Cup, and speaking of what Russia can do, we now know Russia's opponents in Group A, I guess it is, and uh, Russia got Egypt, Saudi Saudi Arabia and Uruguay. Now that's not a tough group, Tim. No, it's not. It's historically the the worst group in history uh, of uh, World Cups uh, or in recent history. Like when since they're doing the the ratings. So obviously Russia got extremely lucky. And given all those uh, doping um, scandal uh, recent that people been saying, okay, so they they doing it again but in a different way. How did they get such an easy group? And uh, the group is easy on paper. It might be easy for Germany or for um, Brazil, but I don't think it's easy um, group for, for Russia because there will be pressure. Um, we had a very unfortunate um, result playing with two uh, North uh, African teams in, um, 2000, in uh, against Tunisia and against Algeria. Both were fairly unsuccessful. We won against Tunisia, but it was a hard game. But we lost, uh, sorry, we didn't go through uh, in the key match against um, Algeria. So playing Egypt and Saudi Arabia might seem on paper easy, but at the same time, uh, I don't think anything is guaranteed in this group, plus Uruguay, which is definitely the best team out of four. So I don't really have a positive outlook. Any group any group which we would have had, I would never say that uh, Russia will go through because, first of all, Russia never, ever mm. uh, went through to the playoff of the World Cup. So um, 
our level is has been fourth or third place. Um, obviously, like there will be massive pressure. There will be a lot of support from uh, from fans uh, on those games. Uh, but it's as as easy as it sounds. I don't, I think I think it's it's it will be very very tough. And I don't think well, Russia will walk through this group. It will be very tough. And I'm not certain. I'm not sure that uh, Russia will uh, qualify to the playoff. You know, Tim. Everyone always says everything always says that Russia has an easy group. But you know, the only one who actually got an easy group out of this is Uruguay. Hey, come on. <laughs> yeah. If anyone, yeah, exactly. if anyone rigged this group, it was Uruguay. Let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they, 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 they are top. I mean, they are top side. They were in part two. And they got basically a top, a part four team as the part one team, and uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Like, mind you, Egypt. We don't know how they're gonna do. Um, historically, a strong side in Africa, but failure to qualify for a World Cup for a long, long time. So, I mean, Uruguay. If anyone cheated at the straw, it was Uruguay. Let's be honest here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I think you're right. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think that Russia can go out of this group. I think that Egypt uh, and Saudi Arabia are two beatable sides. Um, if anything. The the one negative I see I seen Russia not do so well against smaller teams, and actually mm-hmm. the recent games against um, Argentina and uh, Spain they actually did quite well. So I actually think that Russia almost does better when they have some a better team opposing them rather than a team that they should be beating on paper, right? So. Yeah, go, going back to what I've been saying about Russian mentality, and we mentioned to you a few times uh, on the podcast, remember the glorious uh, Ukrainian exit from the qualifying, um, Spartak beating um, Sevilla and then drawing Maribor, and I can give you many, many examples of that, then, you know, when it's all on paper seems easy for us, doesn't go very well, but when we need a heroic performance, we, we, we can get it. Again, that's black and white country, black and white mentality. And um, so I agree with you. Maybe even a stronger group could have been a, a benefit for Russia, a better setup for Russia. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, uh, it's probably the most even group in terms of the teams that are drawn in. But Tim, looking at the other groups, and uh, I have them right in front of me, What's the most interesting one for you? Uh, uh, for me, D, E, F. Those three groups are like um, extremely exciting. Uh, for me, the, obviously, the, the group D is the most interesting for me uh, because we have Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria. Mm. Potentially, all four teams can um, uh, progress to, to the playoffs. To me, th- this is the most interesting group. Uh, obviously, the group E with uh, Brazil, Switzerland, Costa Rica, and Serbia. And given how Costa Rica did well last year, and um, hopefully they will do as well, or maybe like you know have, have say, same strong squad this year. So um, that's not an easy group for Brazil because we know how Serbia, how Switzerland is strong. And then Group F, um, your friends uh, in Germany, mm. Mexico, Sweden, and South Korea. This is maybe not a less even because you have Germany and South Korea, but it will be an interesting battle between Mexico and Sweden uh, to go through. And uh, the Group H is a hipster yeah. choice uh, where you have no idea absolutely who will go through because it has Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and Japan. And Poland was the seeded, group, seeded team in this group from part one. Yeah. Um, I, Polish football out of the shadow. Coming slowly out of the shadow, of course, 
Um, you can make an argument maybe they're a bit of a one-man team, Tim, with Robert Lewandowski mm-hmm. carrying them a little bit. Um, but it's it's a fascinating group. I'm a big fan of Colombia. Uh, James yeah. Rodriguez, I, you know, I, I am in Germany right now and I see quite a bit of him because... I get regularly accredited with Bayern Munich, and I've seen quite a lot of him. Jupp Heynckes has him playing just like he did four years ago when he was at the World Cup. Um, he's he's emerging again, becoming a very great player. And Japan has a lot of very good technically gifted players, and I'm I'm always excited to see them. Um, Germany's group, I was happy about this group, to be honest. I think it's, it's an attractive but doable group for us. All three opponents are going to be interesting and fun opponents to watch and i think all three opponents are teams that germany should beat so it's it's an interesting an interesting and a fascinating group and then of course uh, my friends from switzerland hmm. and group e um i think switzerland i'm always fascinated how a country the size of switzerland can produce that many great players they they kind of like the uruguay of europe right um, yeah. uruguay is the same way they're about the same size and population too it's just I find it incredible how they can, um, the amount of good players that they produce. And I mean, I, I, as I said in the beginning of the pod, I was in Basel and FC Basel. The amount of fantastic players they have on that side right now, once again, is, is remarkable. Um, I guess we have to kind of highlight Group B, Spain against Portugal. That's going to be a mm-hmm. cracker of a game. I think um, I, I'm going to be very, very interested in, in looking at that. But... You know, given the other teams in that group, I think both teams will emerge from that. Um, other than that, I mean, fairly balanced. That's the other thing that stood out. It was not really a really a group of death. Um, I guess Group E is the closest thing to it, but it's been a pretty fairly balanced draw, wasn't it? Yeah, I agree. There's, there's like I said, there's we pretty much uh, mentioned every group except Group C, which just has France, Australia. Peru and Denmark, which is also an interesting group. Mm. Uh, the, obviously, the France is the, the, the seeded team, but Australia, Peru and Denmark, hard to say. You know, all those teams can produce a result. Um, so I, I agree. That's a very even uh, draw. And that's and that's interesting. I think this is uh, this is going to be a fascinating tournament. Um, there's not that many top matches in the group stage like Spain, Portugal, probably the only game which comes to mind when two really big football powerhouses will play. Um, but that uh, makes makes it more even, more interesting, and that makes the whole tournament uh, with playoff in mount more, uh, more interesting. So I'm very, obviously, excited for the World Cup. Um, and uh, this is going to be a great tournament with, uh, I think, a lot of great matches. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, really exciting. And uh, I think... You know, it's going to be fascinating to watch the build-up. I always love the build-up towards a tournament and see um, the the form that the different countries uh, make. And then of course, we're going to find out in May the the squads and all that. It's always fun. And then uh, of course, the different players battling to get into the squads. Um, I recently, especially German squad, <laughs> yeah. where you have like fifty people battling for twenty-three spots. We have fifty-three players tracked. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's going to be a fascinating one, and of course we're going to, to follow the, all the developments and the different parts that we have. Of course, football grad, uh, the football grad part is going to be heavily geared towards the World Cup as we get closer. But gegenpressing, of course, with the national team and, and Golazzo, 
with the Mexican side. Uh, not going to be talking much about uh, the World Cup if we call it soccer pod simply because our friends in the US aren't there. But um, yeah, Tim, I, I guess this wraps up our show pretty much. It's been a really fascinating show. Champions League, Mutgo, World Cup draw, boom, great topics. Um, what? Where can people find you, Tim, and what have you been up to? Uh, people can find me on uh, Twitter and the Russian Tim sixty one, and on Instagram as Rocket from Russia. I have been busy with uh, a little bit of uh, the band uh, stuff. Uh, my band doing some recording, and then we play in a few shows. Um, so I have been busy as ever, but I'm very excited, and I'm started uh, looking into the planning and this is something that me and you will talk after the pod uh but yeah i'm i'm very excited and um can't wait for for the world cup yeah same absolutely definitely very excited well we're definitely gonna planning stage is starting uh has started um of course waiting back from the canadian soccer association and uh hoping to get all the accreditation sorted but planning stage has definitely started well but that's it guys um that's the pretty much wraps up our pod. You can you can find me of course at Manuel Vef on Twitter. Please give me a follow. Give me a shout if you have any questions. I'd be massively touring Germany right now. I'm in Berlin at the moment. I will be in Hamburg soon and uh, doing a bunch of games. And uh, yeah, so give me give me a shout if you want to hang out. If you have questions, etc. Please feel free. And you can of course also send us questions, um, pointers, etc. At Football Grad Live or Football Grad Twitter account. And of course on iTunes, uh, we're also on iTunes. You can can leave a comment there. Um, it's always muchly appreciated. Well, that's it. Until next week, das wird dann hier. the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.